energy so stalling, yeah. Everybody's running scared. We used to be so carefree, we used to be so happy, we used to have everything we need. mentality where melanated people are connected in spirit love and community what's up kings and queens beautiful people everywhere it's your girl ck mckee and i am your host hey there beautiful people how's everyone doing I pray that you're all doing as well as you can be. Welcome to another episode of Village Mentality. I'm so glad to have you all here with me in the village, and you're welcome to join me each and every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'd also like to give a very warm welcome to those of you who may be tuning in for the very first time. Now, if you're looking to see just what Village Mentality is all about, then you're welcome to catch up on all previous episodes of Village Mentality on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, and The Awakened Lounge. And I also provide links to each episode on both Instagram and Facebook, and I'll be sure to share those with all of you at the end of the show. But thanks again for joining. As a mental health and wellness advocate with lived experience with mental health conditions, each week, I'll be talking about different topics that could impact our mental health. Most people don't understand just how many things could. That's what this podcast is all about. And I'm focused on BIPOC communities because, as an African-American woman, I'm extremely concerned about communities of color and their mental health. Now, when I refer to BIPOC, I don't want to take for granted that everyone knows what that acronym stands for, but we're referring to Black indigenous and people of color. So that includes Latinx, as well as Asian American Pacific Islanders. And there are various groups that are represented under that acronym, all right? Now, as far as mental health is concerned, it really doesn't matter who you are or where you're from because we all can be impacted. And that's something that we really need to know and understand. We may not all have mental illness, that's a fact, but It's also a fact that we have, all of us, we all have mental health, and we need to make sure that we're taking care of it. The purpose of this podcast is to bring awareness to the many different ways in which our mental health can be affected, showing that poor mental health outcomes are not always caused by chemical imbalance, but it can be from the various stressors, trauma, or circumstances that we all face from time to time in our daily lives. Through education and advocacy by individuals like myself who have lived experience, and that's whether it's with mental health conditions or substance use, the hope for all of us is that we'll be able to show up in more effective ways to support those around us that may be suffering. Now, through my advocacy, I'm personally working to destigmatize mental illness and to normalize the facilitation of conversations 
around our mental health. And the stigma of mental illness and and conversations about our mental health, well, they're much more difficult for marginalized and intersectional groups. And it interferes with our ability to take care of our mental health as we should. Now, self-care is something that I'm a huge proponent of. And it's a very important tool that I believe we need to talk about and hopefully practice in our daily lives, right? Because I'm a little bit concerned, beautiful people, that we're still not understanding just how important practicing self-care is. Now, when you're someone who is constantly pouring into others, just giving and giving and giving, realistically, there needs to be a way for you to be able to replenish all that energy that you're pouring out there into the world, right? Don't you think? And there are so many different ways that we can practice self-care, especially when it's viewed holistically. The benefits of learning to take care of ourselves, well, it extends beyond us, and it has a positive impact on all those whom we encounter. Now, for someone who's in crisis or who may be experiencing emotional distress, self-care is probably going to be the furthest thing from your mind, and I get it. But in all truth, self-care is something that we all grow into, right? It's not automatic. It's a practice. So that is especially the case if you have been in crisis and you're on the road to recovery. But what's important about it is that when we begin the process of learning how to identify those things that we need to do, right, in order to take better care of ourselves, not only do you feel good, but I promise you, you'll be able to show up for others more effectively. Self-care as a whole, it involves tending to our bodies, our intellect, mind, our practical needs, our social needs, and our spirits. So to practice self-care, beautiful people, you actually have to, you know, make some time for it, right? Take a walk out in nature, call a friend, create a playlist of songs that inspire and encourage you laugh laughter is the best medicine that's what they say right do some deep breathing a lot of times I need to remember to breathe it does make a difference it kind of settles you down when you take nice slow deep breaths right when you work to nurture all parts of yourself there's a good chance you'll be happier and much more balanced Self-care, it is for every one village, and we need to realize that it's about self-preservation. Now, kings and queens, think about all the ways that we take care of everything else that matters to us in our lives. We need to stop allowing ourselves and others to cause us to feel guilty for taking some time to take care of ourselves. Because at the end of the day, all the people that we help, love, care about, well, they're the ones that are going to reap the benefits of our self-care. So check in with your needs and live each day in a way that protects your mental health because it's an integral part of your total health and well-being. Self-care, it helps us to rejuvenate our spirits and souls so that we can continue to be the fantabulous kings and queens that we most definitely are. And I'll be right here, all right, right here reminding us of that fact each and every single chance I get. You dig? Now, if you've heard the show before, then you know that there'll be plenty of music too. So tonight, I thought that we would listen to some of the kings of R&B, you know, some of those that had really strong messages that inspired us, as well as entertaining us with their smooth, velvety voices. So I hope that you'll sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, without further ado, I believe that it's time for me to take my first walk of the evening 
to my musical jukebox. Okay, Village. Now, this first song was written by this soul singer and a guitarist by the name of Steve Cropper. It was recorded twice in 1967, which, by the way, was just three days before the singer's death in a plane crash on December 10, 1967. It was released on Stax Records, Volt Label in 1968, becoming the first posthumous number one single in the U.S., it reached number three on the UK singles chart. Now, the singer, you know, worked the lyrics, or, or I should say wrote the lyrics, excuse me, to this song while staying on, on a rented houseboat in Sausalito, California. And he completed the song in Memphis with Cropper, a Stax producer and the guitars for Booker T and the MGs. It features whistling and sounds of waves crashing on a shore. Well, enough talking by me. Here's The Dock of the Bay by the late Otis Redding. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting in the evening come Watching ships then I watch them roll away again. I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll away. I'm sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. I left my home in Georgia. Headed for the Frisco Bay Cause I've got nothing to live for Look like nothing's gonna come my way So I'm just gonna sit on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Everything seems to stay the same I can't do what ten people tell me to do So I guess I'll remain the same Sitting here resting my bones And this loneliness won't leave me alone Listen, two thousand miles I roam Just to make the dish dock my home now I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Ooh, Sitting on the dock of the bay I'm wasting time Bye. 
And with a voice like Alice ringing out, there's no way the band can was the one and only Stevie Wonder with one of his most well-known hits, Sir Duke. The song comes from his album Songs in the Key of Life. Released as a single in 1977, the track topped the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and Black Singles Charts and reached number two in the U.K. Singles Chart. His joint biggest hit there at the time. Now, Billboard even ranked this song as the number 18 song of 1977. Well, Village, you know me. I like to take a little bit of time to talk about some things, whether it be about current events, entertainment, or something that's just on my mind. So why don't we get into my segment called Let's Talk About It. Okay, beautiful people, in the last two weeks, I've talked about individuals who identify as Black, and I've talked about those who have identified as Indigenous, as we recognize B.B. Moore BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month. Now, in case you missed those episodes, you're welcome to go back and listen to them at your convenience. But this evening, I'll be talking about the Latinx community. Now, the Latinx community in the U.S. is very diverse, including people from many different nations and regions of the world. Individuals of Mexican, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Central American, and South American descent have been part of the American culture tapestry for centuries. 
as with any community, the mental health needs and experiences of Latinx people vary among their subgroups. Now, while there is a great diversity within this community, there are some shared cultural factors that connect people regardless of ancestry or national origin. For some, their indigenous roots are a source of pride. A large portion of this community speaks Spanish, and there are also uh, shared connections of religious affiliations, strong family bonds, connections to extended networks, and a resilient approach to life and work. Now, another common value in this community is a cultural foundation that emphasizes connectedness and a strong attachment and duty to one's family. When it comes to identity and culture, it is important to understand how these diverse members of the Latinx community self-identify based on race, ethnicity, and or national origin. Now, those who identify as Latino, Latina, Latin, or Latinx may consider themselves of Latin American ancestry, you know, Central America, South America, or the Caribbean. Now, since the Spanish language is typically gendered, the terms Latin or Latinx are used to eliminate a binary choice, male versus female, for instance. And that's limiting and excluding to trans, gender fluid, or non-binary individuals. So those who identify as Hispanic in some cases may be referring to ancestors from Spain or other Spanish-speaking countries. So let's talk about the barriers to mental health care for Latinx communities. Now, there's a similar vulnerability to mental illness as there is in the general population. But the Latinx community faces disparities in both access to and quality of treatment. More than half of Hispanic young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 with serious mental illness may not even receive treatment. This inequality puts these communities at a higher risk for more severe and persistent forms of mental health conditions because without treatment, mental health conditions often grow worse, right? Now, language barriers can make communicating with providers difficult or even impossible, particularly when a person is seeking counseling for sensitive or uniquely personal issues. These topics can be difficult for anyone to put into words, but it's especially difficult for those who may not speak the same language as a potential provider. Now, although Spanish is the official language in most of Latin America, some Latino, Latinas may speak other languages or dialects. Okay, and I don't want to mispronounce these other languages, but I know among them is Portuguese. Okay, but additionally, Latinx families may be bilingual or mixed language families. Therefore, it is helpful for providers to ask what the patient and family's preferred language is before starting an evaluation and, where necessary, to use interpreters, right? Another barrier is poverty and having less health insurance coverage. About 17% of Hispanic and or Latinx um, people in the U.S. live in poverty compared to 8.2% of non-Hispanic whites. Now, individuals who live in poverty have a higher risk of mental illness. And conversely, individuals with mental illness have a higher risk of living in poverty. It's a vicious cycle, beautiful people. Some other barriers would be lack of cultural competency, legal status, acculturation, and stigma. 
Now, for mental health providers working with Hispanic Latinx clients or patients, exploring cultural identity may offer important information to tailor their mental health treatment. Cultural humility is necessary to provide quality care. So let me just talk a little, just really quick about the, these two. Cultural competency is a term that we've been using for quite some time. And, you know, it has been considered that no one outside of your culture can necessarily be competent in understanding your culture because they don't walk in your shoes, so to speak, each and every day. But there was just an effort there, I think, to have more of an understanding about the unique issues that face communities of color that perhaps, for instance, a non-white uh, mental health provider may not come in contact with, but that they would need to take into account when providing support. Does that make sense? And then cultural humility is really a commitment by mental health professionals, uh, a commitment of, of, of their practice, if you will, to recognize these differences in communities of color and to cater their treatment plans to incorporate these sensitivities to one's cultural identity, traditions, customs, etc. Right. So that they can, again, provide quality care. So it refers to the ability to recognize the cult that culture, after all, does play a large role in a person's health and well-being and may sometimes affect the provider's ability to best served, serve their patient's needs. Right. So as always, Village, there's there's so much to learn. OK, I just tease you guys every week. There's so much to learn. And I encourage you to do your own research so that you may have a better understanding of the challenges that communities of color face with regard to their mental health and mental health care. All right. Now, I'll wrap up next week with the Asian American Pacific Islander community. All right. Stay tuned. Here's to brighter days. and queens as the host of Village Mentality, the podcast. I have committed myself to sharing details about Black history each and every week. I believe as an African-American woman that it is extremely important to keep our history alive because Black history is American history. So on this date in Black history, Patricia Roberts Harris started her second term as the Secretary for Health and Human Services on July 19, 1971. Harris was one of the only, or I should say was the only, African-American woman to serve in two cabinet positions. She served as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, otherwise known as HUD, and as Secretary of HHS, both in the administration of President Jimmy Carter. Now, she was also the first African-American woman to serve as a United States ambassador representing the nation in Luxembourg during the administration of President Lyndon B. Johnson from 1965 to 1967. Roberts was born in 1924 in Mattoon, Illinois. She was the daughter of a railroad car waiter, and she graduated summa cum laude from Howard University in 1945. While at Howard, she was elected Phi Beta Kappa, and she was part she also participated in one of the nation's first lunch counter sit-ins in 1943. Now, she worked as assistant director of the American Council on Human Rights, and she was the first national executive of Delta Sigma Theta sorority, of which she was a member. 
Roberts later received her JD from the George Washington University National Law Center in 1960, ranking number one out of a class of 94. You go, queen. Mm. Now, Harris unsuccessfully ran for mayor of Washington, D.C. in 1982, losing the primary election that year to incumbent mayor Marion Barry. I know you all know about him, right? And if you don't, read about it. You probably wish you had voted for her. Now, also in 1982, she was appointed a full-time professor at the George Washington Law Center, a position she served in until her death from breast cancer on March 23rd, 1985, at the age of 60. And that, beautiful people, is Black History Wednesday. Oh, yes, it will. 
I think in a lot of ways, beautiful people, we're still waiting for a change to come, aren't we? But Sam Cooke was singing about that change back in 1964. It appeared on his album, Ain't That Good News, released mid-February of 1964 by RCA Victor. The song was inspired by various events in Cooke's life, most prominently when he and his entourage were turned away from a whites-only motel in Louisiana. Cooke felt compelled to write a song that spoke to his struggle and of those around him, and that pertained to the civil rights movement and African Americans. This next song comes from his 11th studio album, released by Motown Records on May 21, 1971. Now, this was the first time that his very, this very talented singer would be credited as a producer and also to credit Motown's in-house studio band, the session musicians known as the Funk Brothers. The narrative established by the song is told from the point of view of a Vietnam veteran returning to his home country to witness hatred, suffering, and injustice. It also explores themes of drug abuse, poverty, and the Vietnam War. He has also been credited with promoting awareness of ecological issues before the public outcry over them had become prominent. Now, this song stayed on Billboard's LPs for over a year. Here is someone that was taken from us much too soon, Marvin Gaye, with his hit, What's Going On? A question that is still very much relevant today. Wouldn't you agree? And when we come back, I will get into today's topic. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can conquer hate You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and get here today Pick it light and pick it size Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see Right. Ah, yeah, 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 y
things we let go. Oh, but who would they judge us? Simply cause our hair is long. Come on, talk to me. You can't see what's going on. Yeah, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. Right, right on. Right on. Okay, Village, so tonight I'd like to revisit a topic that I talked with you about last season, I believe. But truth be told, after it was all said and done, I wasn't even sure what it was all about still. <laughs> so I will do my best to see if I'm able to clarify it this time around. Now, I'll be talking with you this evening about a phenomenon called imposter syndrome. It was originally referred to as imposter phenomenon coined by psychologists in the 1970s, right? Now, have you ever questioned if you were good enough or smart enough to be in your current position at work, for example, or your status as maybe an athlete or any other successful, you know, and like, I don't know, a singer, an actor? Have you ever questioned your ability? Well, there are people out there who feel like they're a fraud, or that they're undeserving of everything that they've worked for. Can you believe that? Or maybe you're someone that could feel that way, right? Now there is research out there that suggests, beautiful people, that imposter syndrome is widespread. So let's take a look at what imposter syndrome is. And I'm gonna do my best to do a better job this time. Now, the definition of imposter syndrome is feeling inadequate in professional-related endeavors despite having more than enough expertise and experience in a certain field. In other words, the meaning of imposter syndrome is that such high achievers or people who excel in their field, they feel consistently inadequate or fraudulent despite evidence to the contrary. Isn't that something? We are way too hard on ourselves. Wouldn't you agree, Village? Now, Although it was first noticed in women, it is also something that is experienced by men too. And some of the symptoms of imposter syndrome include feeling like success is impossible, feeling incompetent despite demonstrating competency, fear of not meeting another person's expectations, 
feeling like past successes and hard work were only due to luck, feeling constant pressure to achieve or to be better than before, feeling stressed, anxious, or depressed from feelings of inadequacy. Mm-mm-mm. That's a lot, right? Now, Village, there are several different types of imposter syndrome. Did you know that? Because I certainly did not know that. But this is what reading does, right? It makes you aware of all these things. Now, some of these different types are superwoman or superman, you know, kind of mentality, the natural genius, the soloist, and the expert. Look all those up and see what that all means, all right? Because there's one that I think is really important for us to focus on today, right? And that is the perfectionist. Because out of all of them, this type, in my opinion, this type of imposter syndrome has an increased vulnerability to depression. Well, that's not my opinion. That's a fact. But in my opinion, this one is one we need to focus on because it may be more prevalent than we realize, right? Now, clinically significant perfectionism results in individuals with an increased vulnerability to depression with an inflexible attitude towards changing patterns of thought. And that's despite the consequences that the pursuit of perfectionism has on their quality of life. Now, the biggest concern associated with clinically significant perfectionists is an increased risk of suicide. Yes, it's that serious. Perfectionism is linked to depression due to the conflation of self-worth and success and the act of working toward goals. Therefore, self-worth is contingent on fully achieving high goals. And depressive symptom, excuse me, depressive symptom etiology is therefore highly likely to occur when some goals are not met. So that just means like anytime you don't do what you set out to do, you you you're depressed. You hit bottom and perhaps each time that happens it gets worse and worse. All right? Now, an inability to meet all set goals can exacerbate lowered self-esteem. And moreover, perfectionism is correlated with internalized shame. Now, in addition, perfectionists have a tendency to ruminate about the mistakes that they have made. These unrelenting negative self-reflections subsequently become habitual and contribute towards the development of depressive symptoms. So how many of you that are listening this evening have ever identified as a perfectionist? Mm -hmm. Are you raising your hand? Are you nodding your head? Or are you just verbally saying yes? Now I can tell you, I can tell you, Village, I have identified as that in my own life. And I sometimes reflect as to why this is, at one time, this, this was my reality, being a perfectionist. You know, and when I think back, I believe it's for really far too many reasons. You know, I didn't I didn't think that I was good enough, right? And so perhaps since I felt so deficient in other areas of my life, being a perfectionist was my way of controlling the narrative. But in truth, because of someone who cared about me very, very deeply, my mom that is, I came to understand that not only was it unrealistic, because there's no such thing as perfect, but that it was unsustainable. It was quite harmful to me mentally. And so needless to say, I had to give myself some grace and I had to understand that no one is perfect and that as long as I do the best that I can, that at the end of the day was what mattered most, right? 
So now I do things with excellence because, I don't know, I, I just don't half-ass anything. But even, even though like I work really hard to do things you know, with excellence, I do it within reason. And whenever I begin to drift towards the attitude of perfectionism, thankfully my mom checks me. She checks me. She's my person. And she's always right there to support me. So for those of you out there who may be able to relate to this form of imposter syndrome, the perfectionist, I pray that you, like me, have someone in your life who can help you to understand that you are wonderful just the way you are and that you deserve nothing but good things in your life. We all do, right? So just remember that if nothing else, okay? Here's to brighter days. places in my life and time I've sung a lot of songs I've made some bad ones I've acted out my life in stages with 10,000 people watching but we're alone now and I'm singing the song to you I know your image of me is what I hope to be I treated you unkindly But darling, can't you see There's no one more important to me through me Cause we're alone now And I'm singing this song to you You taught me precious secrets Of a true love You're holding nothing You came out in front When I was hiding together Listen to the melody Cause my love is in there Hiding Or time 
you're a friend of mine And when my life is over Remember when we were together We were alone And I was singing this song to you or time I love you for my life You're a friend of mine And when my life is over Remember When we were together We were alone and I was singing this song to you We were alone and I was singing this song to you We were alone and I was singing this
was Donny Hathaway with one of my favorite songs of all time, A Song for You. I just feel that song, Village. Mm, that song, I feel it in my very soul any time and every time that I hear it. It was a song that was written in originally. Uh, it was for a rock singer by the name of Leon, excuse me, Leon Russell. He was also a pianist, too. And this song, it's a slow, pained plea for forgiveness and understanding from an estranged lover. Hathaway's, Donny Hathaway's gospel-influenced interpretation has been praised as redefining the song as his own. Because, I mean, every time I hear it, that's all I think about. But it's been done by countless artists, all right? Like, even including, like, you know, Ray Charles. He did a version as well. I liked his, too. Now, his live performances were electrifying, evoking a near-religious experience for the audience. And it was followed by You Are My Lady by Freddie Jackson. How many of you out there used to think he sounded just a little tiny bit like Luther Vandross? Hmm? Or was that just me? Maybe it was just me. Okay, that's fine. I'll send alone. It's okay. It was the second single from his debut album, Rock Me Tonight. Like his debut single, You Are My Lady hit number one on the R&B charts for two weeks. And it was Jackson's most successful crossover single of his career, peaking at number 12 on the Hot 100. And it also reached number 49 in the UK. All right, beautiful people, it's time for this week's inspirational story. And the title, the name of the story is called Arms and Legs for Others. Arms and Legs for Others. Here's the story. Bob Butler lost his legs 
1965 landmine explosion in Vietnam. He returned home a war hero. Twenty years later, he proved once again that heroism comes from the heart. Butler was working in his garage in a small town in Arizona on a hot summer day when he heard a woman's screams coming from a nearby house. He began rolling his wheelchair toward the house, but the dense shrubbery wouldn't allow him access to the back door. So he got out of his chair and started to crawl through the dirt and bushes. I had to get there, he says. It didn't matter how much it hurt. When Butler arrived at the pool, there was a three-year-old girl named Stephanie Haynes lying at the bottom. She had been born without arms and had fallen in the water and couldn't swim. Her mother stood over her baby, screaming frantically. Butler dove to the bottom of the pool and brought little Stephanie up to the deck. Her face was blue. She had no pulse and was not breathing. Butler immediately went to work performing CPR to revive her while Stephanie's mother telephoned the fire department. She was told the paramedics were already out on a call. Helplessly, she sobbed and hugged Butler's shoulder. As Butler continued with his CPR, he calmly reassured her. Don't worry, he said. I was her arms to get out of the pool. It'll be okay. I am now her lungs, and together we can make it. Seconds later, the little girl coughed, regained consciousness, and began to cry. As they hugged and rejoiced together, the mother asked Butler how he knew it would be okay. The truth is, I didn't know, he told her. But when my legs were blown off in the war, I was all alone in a field. No one was there to help except a little Vietnamese girl. As she struggled to drag me into her village, she whispered in broken English, It's okay. You can live. I be your legs. Together, we make it. Her kind words brought hope to my soul, and I wanted to do the same for Stephanie. An example of paying it forward. I love that, right? Now, what's the moral of the story, beautiful people? There are simply those times when we cannot stand alone. There are those times when we need someone to be our legs, our arms, and our friend. So 
If only for one night 
American singer and actor Tyrese Gibson with his hit Lately. It was written by Gibson and Derek Allen for his self-titled debut studio album in 1998. And it featured actress Maya Campbell, who is the daughter of the late author and mental health advocate B.B. Moore Campbell, who we saw for the second time after her previous appearance from the single Sweet Lady. It was released, or it released uh, it, I'm sorry, when it was released, it reached number 56 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number 12 on the U.S. Hot R&B Hip Hop Songs Chart. And it was followed by a song that was written and originally performed by Brenda Russell on her self-titled debut studio album in 1979. But Village, you know me. I am a firm believer that it's always the, it's always the case that a song like this ends up with the person who just knocks it out the park. And in this case, it's the one and only Luther Vandross. Nobody had a voice like Luther. No matter how much you might have thought Freddie Jackson sounded like him, mm-mm, nobody had a voice like Luther. And the way that he sang this song and any other song, to be quite frank, he touched. Any song he touched. He was always smooth like butter. Anytime he graced it with his velvety, sultry voice. Now, the song was for his fourth studio album, The Night I Fell in Love. Well, kings and queens, it looks like we've come to the end of another show.
I do hope that the information provided will be of help to you. Remember, it's always a good idea to do your own research, no matter what the topic is, especially if your life is involved. It is both a pleasure and a privilege and honor of mine to be here with you once again in the village. Each and every week I'll be here. I hope you will be too. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. And I look forward to being with you all again next Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Be sure to follow Village Mentality on Instagram at villagementality.ckm and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast. You can also catch all episodes of Village Mentality on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, and there's a link to each episode available again on Instagram at villagementality.ckm as a Mary. And on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast. As well, you can catch it on theawakenlounge.com slash village hyphen mentality. Sorry, you guys. My throat is like, oh, now just remember that God has got me and he's got you too. Be blessed, beautiful people. And here's to brighter days. Energy's so stale in the air. Everybody's running scared. We used to be so carefree. We used to be so happy. We used to have everything we need. Yeah.